at Mitchell and Webb Sound, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb with Olivia Coleman and James Barkman. This is nice, Henry. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. I just think it's incredible the way restaurants have changed in this country over the last 20 years. Yeah, with gastropubs and all by one, that kind of thing. It's just so easy now. Are you ready to order, sir? Oh, sorry, mate. We haven't really had a chance to look yet, but can we have a bottle of the house red to be going on with? Mate, the house red to be going on with? Where the hell do you think you are? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry? Do you even know what the house red is? Are you even an expert on wine? Because if you're not, I don't know on what basis you venture to order it. Um, I'm sorry, what happened to the friendly Australian girl who used to work here? She's gone, sir. They've all gone. And we're back. <laughs> who? The incredibly posh people who are still unaccountably waiters. <laughs> and I'm afraid we've changed the rules. Well, I'd still like to order. I saw you in here last week. I saw you drinking your soup. And one does say drinking, by the way. We were watching on the monitors in the kitchen and we all thought you were a dick. <laughs> Look, you can't talk to me like that. My money's just as good as anyone else's. Who on earth gave you that impression? I, I can't believe this is how you treat customers. I can't believe that you're continuing with this. You know that I can destroy you. Look at the menu. Those are my weapons. Everything has to be eaten in a very particular way, and I'm betting that whatever that way is, you don't know it, and you don't have the wit to guess it. I've had just about enough. I mean, you can't... Oh, you... please, is that your attempt at a complaint? I almost pity you. It's utterly spineless, and it's not going to get you anywhere. What are you going to do? Leave? That's just the very thing I've been praying you'd do since the house wine day bark. I'd like to see the manager. The manager? How could I possibly introduce you to the manager? You haven't shaved, you're not wearing a tie, and you hold your knife like a pen. <laughs> now take your gaudy but gratifyingly mute girlfriend and get out. a bad miss. And you can see the frustration written all over Terry McCarthy's face as he returns to his seat. Not a look to be taken lightly, especially at around two in the morning on the streets of Derby, if the media's to be believed. Well, <laughs> Terry is no stranger to adversity, particularly in the form of the police, and has spoken publicly in very moving terms about that guy he cut. I think he was right to put an end to the speculation, and it does sound to me like that guy he cut was basically asking for it. <laughs> Which is not to condone Terry's actions. Terry's lightning-fast reactions. It's not to condone it in any way when we say that it basically was the other guy's fault. Certainly in the eyes of snooker, if not, as it transpired, those of so-called British justice. <laughs> I think the thing to focus on here, Ted, is that both of the men involved are sorry. Terry has said publicly that he's sorry, and the other guy, he's bound to be sorry, isn't he, every time he looks in the mirror. Hello and welcome to Focus Westchester, our weekly in-depth look at issues that matter to you, the residents of Westchester and the surrounding area. Coming up, 
difficult to pronounce? Is the fact that Westchester is slightly difficult to say responsible for local job losses? <laughs> but first, drownings. The latest statistics from a government body make very surprising reading for residents of the reservoir, canal and gravel pit-infested Westchester area. Over the last 12 months, no one from the Westchester region has drowned in lake, river or pond. Good news, you might say. Well, you'd be wrong, according to local frogman Neil Tender, who joins me in the studio. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. First of all, let's clear something up. You don't actually work as a frogman, do you? No, it's, it's just a nickname. I had a ribbit-like burp at school, but <laughs> that, that's all behind me now. Ribbit! <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> So you don't have a vested interest in drownings? Absolutely not. I'm trying to draw attention to the massive waste of public money that's led to a situation where absolutely nobody in a whole year drowns by accident. What that must mean in terms of fencing, warning signs, swimming lessons, people coming into school to tell children to be careful, life belts and the maintenance of waterside paths is just staggering. There has clearly been a massive overspend because in any conurbation of up to half a million people, such as Westchester, that's run with the proper priorities, at least two or three people should drown every year. <laughs> but surely the fact that no-one has drowned is a sign that just enough money has been spent on anti-drowning measures. I'm afraid there's a huge flaw in that logic. It's like when people don't cook enough food for a dinner party and it all gets eaten and they say they've judged it really well and cooked just enough. No, there should be some left over to show that everyone's full. Similarly, a small number of drownees demonstrates that there hasn't been a vast and irresponsible council overspend on safety provisions. Surely one death by drowning is one too many. That's a ridiculous thing to say. <laughs> Think of the number of old people who will freeze to death without a heating grant or schoolchildren who will get run over because there are no traffic lights because of all the money lavished on keeping the two or three most drown-susceptible Westchesterians alive. <laughs> Do those people deserve that money more than a pensioner who spent their life working, watching where they're going and being careful not to fall into water? More than a transsexual waiting for the operation that might keep him, her, the right side of suicide? More than the 40 people in the Westchester area who died last year falling down cliffs? disgrace for a relatively flat region. Can it be only a coincidence that the city's only cliff of any real size is almost completely obscured by drowning awareness slogans? What I'm saying is that everyone has to die, and in a balanced, fair and democratic society, some of them should drown. So, are you one of those people who think that too much of a fuss is made when some kid gets killed? Yes, I am. Give them a latchkey, let them walk home from school, the resourceful ones will pull through. And welcome to Number Wang, the maths quiz on the radio that makes very little sense. Our contestants tonight are Julie from Somerset and Simon from a bin round the back of my local off licence. OK, if you're ready, let's play Number Wang. Three. Nine. Sixteen. Twelve. Uh, eight and a third. Four. That's Number Wang. Round two. Simon to play first. Twenty-seven. Thirty. Nineteen. Eighty-four. That's Number Wang. Let's go to the maths board. Julie. I'll take the four, the six and the three cubes. That's number wang. Simon? I'd like the root 14 and the 12. That's number wang. Round three. Julie to play first. Eight minus four. That's number wang. Simon? 109 times 17. That's number wang. Julie? 47. That's the number wang bonus. Triple number wang to Julie. OK, on to the final round when it's still all to play for. Will you please reveal today's number wang number undrum? <laughs> Is it 1,214,002? That's number wang. Bad luck, Simon. You've been number wanged. But, Julie, you are today's number wang. That's all from number wang today. But until tomorrow's edition, stay number wang. Goodbye, number wang.
Ah, hello. Simon, isn't it? Yes. Good, good. Welcome to the afterlife. <laughs> Am I dead? Well, yes. That's very much the point of the afterlife. <laughs> Hence the name. So, uh, are you going to judge me? Oh, no, no, no. That's between you and your god or gods. We're only the recorders, strictly non-judgmental. No, we're just here to let you know how you did in achieving your life's work. And the final result is 7,345 out of a possible 128,312. What's that? That's the number of times you managed to beat your computer at Solitaire. <laughs> Solitaire? Yes, you know, patience, Red Queen on Black King, all that stuff. But, but that wasn't my life's work. Mm, wasn't it, though? <laughs> it was definitely the single activity to which you devoted the most time and effort whilst on Earth. We've got the figures. Why? What did you think it was? I don't know, my career, my family. Mm, that's really more in the category of stuff that just happened to you. <laughs> yes, the one driving force in your life to which you returned again and again, like Ahab pursuing the white whale, was trying to beat your computer at cards. <laughs> Nothing else came close. That's where you really put the hours in. How many hours? 10,329, or about a year and a quarter. Which, considering you died at 29, is really rather impressive. <laughs> no, it, it can't have been that long. Well, we must admit we were surprised. We did wonder for a while if perhaps you got a sort of religious ecstasy from the animation at the end where all the cards jump off the screen. <laughs> Yes, but then we noticed you tended to skip that bit and just start another game. Still, not for us to criticise. I suppose at least you had a lot of fun. Not really. It, it was just something to pass the time. Oh. Oh. Well, look on the bright side. It worked. <laughs> yes. All the time you had has now been successfully passed. <laughs> well done, you. That's a bad miss. In a way, Barry Pinches will have mixed feelings about missing that pink. He was building an impressive break, but then Terry McCarthy was distinctly starting to glower. Yes, and, and of course, what Barry's got to remember is that they are staying in the same hotel. <laughs> I think you'll join with me, Ted, in saying that there's no way that Terry would turn an on-table setback into an off-table grievance in a social environment such as a restaurant or, more likely, bar. Of course, Barry Pinches will be as aware as any of us that that has hardly ever happened. Not for years. How is Tony Drago? He has to sit down to wee. <laughs> It's Angel Summoner and BMX Bandits. They're the greatest crime fighters in history. One can summon angels, the other rides a BMX. They're a crime fighting duo. Do, 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 do. Okay, Angel Summoner, the President's daughter is being held hostage in that warehouse, but I've got a plan. Okay, BMX bandit, let's hear it. I ride in through the window on my BMX, then distract them by spinning my rear wheel in some mud, thereby kicking dirt up into their eyes so they can't see. Then I'll pop a wheelie and knock the guns out of their hands using my front wheel. Then you come in and untie the girl. 
Right. Or, or, or I could just summon a horde of angels to come in and sort it out for us. <laughs> but then, how would I be using my BMX? Well, you wouldn't need to. The angels would just take care of it. Oh, all right then. If, if you think that's the best way. On balance, I, I think it would be. <laughs> all right, fine. Angelic hordes come forth! Grateful Nation thanks you, Angel Summoner. You've saved the day again. You will never get this. Just try me. OK, there are three doors in front of you. Oh, I love this kind of thing. You won't get the answer. I bet I do. It's really hard. Until you work it out, then you'll kick yourself. OK, three doors, go on. Oh, I love this. And there are two guards. For three doors? Or is it three guards? And two doors. No, that wouldn't work. Uh, I remember it goes door, guard, door, guard, door. The guards are guarding the spaces? The doors. They guard the doors they're adjacent to. So the middle door is... Double guarded. Mm. Spot on, you're catching up. Now, one of the doors leads to freedom. Naturally. And another leads to... Freedom from what? Where am I now? You're, you're standing in front of three doors. What, in a prison? A, a medieval dungeon or some such. With an unorthodox policy on releasing prisoners. Just go with it. Oh, I'm so going to work this out. You will not work this out. <laughs> to continue, the second door leads to death. Horrible, painful death by burning or being eaten or something. I'm imagining a dragon. Perfect. A dragon who burns you a bit, then eats you a bit, and so on. Long, drawn-out, terrible death. OK, so the third door? This is the bit that always gets people. You're so going to kick yourself when you don't get this. Bring the noise. Behind the third door is a car. Or is it a booby prize? You're so absolutely going to kick yourself. A car? Yes. The thing is, if you change your mind about the doors, is it more or less likely that you win the car? <laughs> Win the car? Win the car. What kind of dungeon gives away cars as prizes? I think I'm getting this right. Wh which door do you choose? Whoa, slow down. Once I've chosen a door, the guards open it? Yes, unless you're choosing it to eliminate it, in which case they lock it, so you don't see what you would have won. Then how do I work out what's left? It's something about fractions. Right. So the doors are currently closed but unlocked? Which is why they have to be guarded. Ah, another thing about the guards. One guard lies and one tells the truth. About what? About everything. The doors, the car, the dragon, each other, fractions, locks, prizes, the fox and the chicken. What fox and chicken? This is where it gets really clever. <laughs> One guard has a fox and the other has a chicken. And if you mistakenly choose the booby prize, the guard lets go of the chicken to get his key out so that when he opens the door, bang! What? Guess what the booby prize is? A bag of grain? And how long is that going to last with a chicken on the loose? Fair point. <laughs> Can the dragon eat the car? No, but the fox might eat the chicken. But only if both guards let go of them. Exactamundo. And why would both guards have to do that? Because they've both got keys to the middle door. Good stuff. Keep thinking. So I should never choose the middle door. Think laterally, laterally. I should choose the middle door. Because... If the fox eats the chicken, then... Nearly there. The green is safe. Houston, we do not have a problem. Right. So is my main priority escaping to freedom or saving some grain which may or may not be there? Or winning the car. Or not being eaten. OK, good question. Do you want to ask the guard who lies? Would that be helpful? It's part of the rules. OK. Is my motivation the desire for personal freedom, grain salvation, material gain or dragon avoidance? He says, I don't know. <laughs> how, how can I don't know be a lie? That makes no sense. Of course it makes sense. It's a lie because he does know what the answer is, but he's lying by saying he doesn't know. Try it again. Oh, I know. If I asked the other guard exactly the same question, what would he say? Ah, clever. Got you there, yeah? Certainly have. Well, what's the answer? I don't know. <laughs>
Wait, wait, wait. Stop. Something's just occurred to me. Neither of us have got girlfriends. <laughs> is, is that relevant? I'm beginning to think it might be. Those are the headlines. Now over to Gary for sports news. Thanks, you. So it's actually happened. The national debate has finally been put to the test. Which really is better, football or cricket? To find out the answer, we can go over to Richard Francis at the football versus cricket game. Rich, how's it been going down there? Well, the footballers started very brightly, Gary. For the first 90 minutes, they were all over the cricketers. But now, as we head into the fourth day, the footballers really are beginning to tire. And you get the sense cricket might be able to grind out a result. Here. So, Richard, how does it actually work, football versus cricket? Well, Gary, there's 11 footballers, 11 cricketers. Two stumps, a cricket ball, a goalkeeper, two goals, a wicketkeeper, two batsmen, a referee, two umpires, and a football. OK. <laughs> and, and what's been going on? Who's winning? That's not entirely clear, to be honest, Gary. <laughs> Hussain was racking up the runs for some time on the side of cricket, whacking fours and sixes into the back of the football net. That looked like it might establish itself as what was going on for a while. But then the footballers kicked their balls so it knocked over the cricket stumps, claiming some kind of victory in that action. But then a rival cricket faction turned the now redundant stumps into a rudimentary mini-goal and for a while they tried to throw the cricket ball into that, arguing that that was in some way good. OK. Then rogue elements from both teams started playing outside the perimeter with a borrowed hacky sack, what I can only describe as a bastardised form of netball. And so what's the score, Richard? Most people agree it's about 87-89, or around there. To whom? That's less clear. And how's the mood amongst the crowd? I think the mood here, well, it's moved from initial enthusiasm through amusement to bewilderment, and now there's really a growing sense of frustration and anger. Thanks, Richard. And later we'll be seeing how they're getting on over at the Triple Jump versus Javelin tournament, where I believe the casualty rate is getting quite depressing. <laughs> Okay, Angel Summoner, that's the boat with the cocaine on board. I suggest that I ride to the end of the pier on my BMX, hook onto that crane, and swing aboard the boat, thereby surprising the burly henchmen. Then I'll pop a wheelie and knock them overboard, and then you can come in and grab the cartel leader. Yes, sounds good. Uh, only. Only what? Well, uh, BMX Bandit, I, I was thinking we could just use the angels again. <laughs> I could summon them no problem, they could handle this. Well, yeah, but that is an option, I suppose. I, I think it would be a better way to go under the circumstances. Yeah, all right, yeah, call the angels. You, you sure? Yeah, fine, just, just do it. No, you, you don't seem at all happy. Well, what is it? Well, we're supposed to be a partnership, but to be honest, I'm starting to feel a bit overshadowed here. Oh, right. Well, why is that, do you think? Well, I think the thing is that your ability to summon hordes of celestial super-beings at will is making my BMX skills look slightly redundant. I'm sorry you feel that way, BMX bandit, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about results, isn't it? Well, yeah, but sometimes I feel that you underestimate my BMXing ability. I hear what you're saying. I tell you what, we'll, we'll use the angels this time, but the next crisis we're involved in we'll solve using BMX-based tactics. All right. <laughs> yeah, OK. Go on, summon them. Angelic hordes come forth! I could have done that. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Big Talk, our weekly attempt to sort everything out globally. 
Scared? You should be. I'm Raymond Terrific, and as usual, I'm going nut brown from the brain rays being emitted by my egghead panel. They all got bullied at school, but they still want to put something back. First issue to sort out, is there really a Father Christmas? Leonard? No. Were the pyramids made by aliens? Richard? No. Was there any such thing as dinosaurs? Danielle? Yes. Yes? Really? Oh, yes. And they were that massive? Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Next, are whales fish? No, they're mammals. This is great. We're really getting through it this morning. <laughs> I thought all of these were really hard. Next, are there space aliens? Well, that's a fascinating and absolutely huge... Oh, no! Do this one like the others! Well, this, this is something that has troubled humanity since the dawn of time. We were doing so well! Father Christmas, tick. Pyramids, tick. Dinosaurs, tick. Unfortunately, Raymond, it's just a bigger question. Bigger question? Then is there a Father Christmas? A bigger question than is there a guy with a beard who's magic and delivers presents to every kiddie on the planet in the space of eight hours? I'm no boffin, but to me, that's a pretty huge question. <laughs> Yes, but the answer's no. Right. What if it had been yes? That would have flagged up some other issues, and no mistake, can reindeer fly? Is time travel possible? Shouldn't we be getting this guy to do something more important? But just because the answer's no, it's suddenly not a very big question. Well, the question about whether we're alone in the universe is... And incidentally, Boffins, with all due respect, since when was it part of your remit to quantify how big the questions are? This is big talk. All the questions are big. I've never let you down on that score. <laughs> well, in a way, it would be amazing if we were the only intelligent life in the universe, given the almost infinite number I'm of... I'm quite things. hurt, you know. It takes me ages to think of these questions. Lindsay, bless her, wanted me to help her with her homework, and I said, I'm sorry, sweetheart, Daddy's got to think up some massive questions for big talk. <laughs> As per, it is a Sunday night, darling. Are you smirking, Richard? No, no, not so. <laughs> Anyway, in the end, we swapped, and I thought she did a bloody good job. Whales, dinosaurs, pyramids, this is big stuff, big talk. Anyway, we've run out of time. Lindsay, if you're listening, sweetheart, I know you are, it's not true what Leonard said about Father Christmas. He's a nasty, spiteful boffin, and he's very sorry, aren't you, Leonard? Yes. <laughs> oh, and that's a bad miss. But luckily for Terry, it has run safe, so Barry will probably go for the safety shot here. Oh, my God, he's fluked it. I must say, that is extremely lucky. In another sense, of course, risky. And isn't it nice to see Barry take time out to apologise to his opponent for his good fortune? <laughs> it's a comprehensive apology, Ted, which is understandable when you look at Terry McCarthy who has gone very still. <laughs> Barry continues to apologise, and is it just my fancy that there's the trace of a tear in the corner of Barry's eye? <laughs> Compassion, perhaps? More likely, fear. Yes, he's dropped his cue and he's on his knees. And this is what happens when you have such wonderful characters in the game as Terry McCarthy. You're quite right. He's a terrific, colourful, big-hearted, big-fisted credit to the sport. <laughs> All right, BMX Bandit, this is a situation. The terrorist group have got that building across the way rigged to blow. They're ruthless, nervous and very heavily armed, and there are at least 30 of them. This is my proposed course of action. You ride to the edge of this building at high speed on your BMX and attempt to make the 70-metre jump across to that building. When you land, assuming you haven't fallen short and been dashed on the pavement hundreds of feet below, 
you pop a wheelie or, or perform whatever BMX trick you think most suitable to disarming a group of fanatics with assault weapons. <laughs> I will stay here and watch. Yeah, you see, I think this is one situation where maybe it would be wise just to summon some angels. No, no, no. A promise is a promise. We're, we're going to do this your way. Look, you'll be fine. This is well within your abilities. You're the BMX bandit. You're right. I can do this. OK, here goes. Yes, go, BMX Bandit! You're, you're doing it! It's amazing! I really am! I can't believe I'm still airborne! Yes, it's remarkable! This really is the longest jump I, or anybody else on a BMX, has ever performed! It's a real testimony to your BMXing skills! Yes, it's almost as if... Wait a minute! Have you secretly summoned angels to support me? No, no, it's, it, it's all you, honestly. No, it's not, otherwise I'd definitely have landed by now. I think you should call them off. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, don't bloody patronise me, please. I, I'd rather you didn't swear the invisible angels don't like it. Aha! I knew it! Angel So, shall we invite Greg Dyke this year or not? Oh, now more than ever. Are you saying we should boycott him because he was so unfairly treated? Oh, far from it. It's just that nowadays he's so busy rightly pointing out to people that he was so unfairly treated, I wonder whether there was any point. That's true. I mean, when he was just Director General of the BBC, you could pretty much rely on him to turn up to any do with a free drink attached. Yeah, whereas now he's got a packed schedule running around vindicating himself about being sacked. I thought he resigned. No, he was sacked. But he pretended he'd resigned because he's so dignified. Well, he didn't want to undermine the corporation, did he? At least not for the first 36 hours. <laughs> yes, that was dignified. And, of course, it goes without saying that 95% of the BBC's staff were behind him at the time. I don't think it does go without saying, because he constantly says it. <laughs> and I think Greg is a wise enough man not to constantly say something that goes without saying. Yes, he is. What I especially like is the way he's managed to turn his being sacked into some moral thing about Britain which other people are invited to give a toss about. <laughs> yes, he does that fantastically. If he comes, I really hope he does go on about being unfairly pushed out of the BBC. I honestly never tire of hearing that. Well... That's lucky, because I have to say that is pretty much his sole topic of conversation. In a lesser man, that will be a criticism, but because he was so unfairly treated and because he makes the albeit straightforward story so uniquely human and engaging, I literally never want him to shut up and get over himself. <laughs> Neither do I. What I love is the way, while he's telling the story of the unfair treatment leading to his being sacked, you're always thinking, oh, this is great. In a moment, he's going to link this to some wider point about politics and the media. But then, brilliantly, he doesn't, and it is just him moaning about getting the sack, which I love. That Michelin Web sign starred Robert Webb, David Mitchell, Olivia Coleman, and James Barkman. It was written by David Mitchell and Robert Webb, James Barkman and Mark Evans, Jesse Armstrong and Sam Bain, Chris Reddy, Owen Powell, and John Finnemore. The music was by Richard Webb and Matt Katz. The producer was Gareth Edwards. <laughs>